Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Glenda Canfield with uh, VirtualizationPractice.com. You can follow me at Glenda Canfield on Twitter. And I have the pleasure of speaking with Mike Schumacher, president of Lakeside Software today. Uh, Mike, I'm going to hand it over to you and kind of give you a chance to tell us uh, how you made it uh, to where you're at, and then we'll move into some of the subjects we were thinking about discussing. That's great. Thanks, Glenda. It's a pleasure to be with you today, have a chance to talk a little bit. Um, Yeah, I've been at Lakeside Lakeside Software since uh, 1997, believe it or not. I'm actually the founder of the company. Um, and uh, uh, over those years, you know, we've gone through several kind of different product iterations, uh, landing us today in the uh, EUC decision support and, and analytics space. Um, but uh, um, you know, it's been uh, it's been an interesting ride for us, and the the we've certainly seen the uh, the market around the endpoint evolve during during that period of time. Uh, we got started because. You know, I was looking to solve one very simple problem, which is, you know, well, I guess not so simple, but, you know, how many users would fit on a, in those days, MetaFrame server, and, you know, what the limiting factors were and how to do some of that forecasting. And then I kind of evolved that into a, a tool that did some resource management and some auditing. And, I remember and a few that. other things. You probably remember those days. SysTrack 1.0. Um, and, uh, um, uh, SysTrack 1, we launched at the uh, first Citrix, was then iForum show, uh, now Synergy, but iForum in 1998. And uh, uh, pretty unexpectedly, I won the Best of Show Award. Um, and, and I was a really small company in those days. I mean, less than 10 people. And uh, yeah. uh, it was exciting times. We went out to uh, Spring Comdex in Chicago and won another Best of Show Award. And the phone started ringing, and the good things started happening, and uh, and I had to move out of my uh, my lakeside den, which is actually where the name comes from, uh, uh-huh. when it was just me, and uh, and into a real office, um, and uh, we started building a business, and that eventually uh, turned into a, a deal with Citrix uh, in late nineties, ninety nine or two thousand. They gave them uh, Citrix RMS and RM for uh-huh. resource management tools. And uh, we then kind of moved into a phase two of our of the, the Lakeside lifetime. Uh, Lakeside phase two was involved in deathside support and and a tool that was called Support Aid. And we did okay. We you know we 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 survived with it, but but it wasn't a a, a huge hit. It was a little before its time, really. Um, uh, you know, in hindsight, people were managing servers and maybe not quite ready for the for the desktop stuff we were talking about then. But we did perfect out of that uh, uh, a new architecture. In fact, we patented an architecture out of that that would allow us to scale to you know tens and hundreds of thousands of systems. And we still use that architecture today. Um, uh, anyway, and then you know in kind of 2008, 2009, we got really interested in virtualization, and we found that some of the uh, some of the core strengths that the company had, both in the the, the terminal server and, and you know now Zen app world and in the desktop world, 
um, really could be quite useful in assessment and planning and design and management and monitoring and forensics and diagnostics all around this this kind of a space. And that's kind of evolved to where we are today, back using the SysTrack brand again um, uh, and, uh, and currently on SysTrack 7.2. Um, SysTrack today is a lot more sophisticated kind of a product than it was way back in the days when I was writing software. Um, we've hired some people that are a lot smarter than me now that, 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 that do that kind of stuff. Uh, and we've evolved into a, a global presence with, um, you know, with offices in the U.S., of course, and then in uh, London, Amsterdam, Amsterdam, Copenhagen, Dubai, Cape Town, Sydney, all kinds of places. Uh, well, that you allow never get well, it gives you the global the global reach, and uh, you know, in the in the international case, you know, the lesson to us in in 2012 when we first expanded into uh, EMEA was, you kind of have to be there to understand some of the local problems and uh, and and their view of the world, and and we've sort of been taking advantage of that in some of the growth of the company. So today, you know, that's you know, we're we're selling SysTrack, and we sell into. You know, all things, all things endpoint. So, you know, if it's, a, if it's a physical desktop, if it's a virtualized desktop, if it's a terminal server or a Zen app or Zen desktop or Horizon or uh, RDS or virtually any flavor, we don't really care, you know, whether it's, a, a, you know, a, a, an app environment, a, a desktop, you know, a shared desktop environment or just a plain old, you know, physical PC with SCCM. One of the value adds that we offer is that the product runs uniformly in all of those environments. So when we offer a tool that gives you a visibility, you know, if you wanted to know how many people are running this app right now in my in, in my environment, we could do that not just for you know your virtualized environment, but your virtual, your physical, your terminal servers, whatever it is you have. So we can this kind of uniform product set. Um, is something that appeals to a lot of our enterprise customers, and that you know, medium and large size customers really where we're selling today. So that's yeah, kind of in a nutshell how you know how I ended up where where I am today. Yeah, well, I I was actually introduced to Lakeside by RMS, believe it or not, when Citrix acquired you guys. That was the first or acquired that product from you guys. That was the first time I'd ever heard the word Lakeside software before. So. When you started talking about that, I was like, oh, I remember that, I remember that, and having to install that and get that out in Metaframe. Yeah, you guys have definitely come far. Um, I think it's really kind of, uh, it was almost like a prescient of you guys to start working on, you know, SysTrack with all the endpoint stuff, you know, right when you did too, because that was right around 2008 when everybody started just considering VDI as a potential, you know, solution, and it still hadn't been really kind of vetted. But um, no, the, and, and one of the big things with the VDI is being able to figure out how it's going to scale, right? I mean, we we all struggled with that, and definitely uh, having a, a, something that was already positioned to be part of a, a solution there was, um, you know, almost like magical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about, you know, every transformational kind of project begins with really understanding where you are today and it's and it's surprising that you know a lot of companies will spend half of their IT budget on the endpoint now that's that includes you know the hardware the software the uh-huh. support the services everything but it's but it's half of their budget and you know largely there a lot of them are running relatively blind i mean they got an idea yeah. of what of what they put out there but you really don't know 
what's being used, how well it's being used, what's the quality and the health of that experience, you know, how if, and so it's very hard for any kind of transformational project. Certainly virtualization is, uh, is one of those. OS migrations uh, is another one. But, you know, it's very hard to carry on those projects without knowing, you know, in objective sense where you are today. And when you finish that project, if you don't kind of measure and compare the results, you don't really know whether you, you know, you made progress or whether you went backwards. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you went, you went forward and you're delivering a higher quality experience in the end because that's mm-hmm. where, you know, productivity comes from. But, you know, our, our messaging today is really built around, you know, leveraging a really clear view of, of what's happening at the endpoint. You know, who's there? What are they running? You know, how well is it servicing? What is it, you know, what does it depend on? What kind of resources are needed? What connects to what? You know, there's so many, there's so many moving pieces. And if you think about the old days, you know, from, you know, when Lakeside was, was, was coming together, you know, in those days, most app delivery was done from a physical PC with, you know, installed apps via, you know, SMS or, you know, in those days or whatever you were using or just manually installed in some cases. And there were yeah. really very few choices. But today, think about the choice that you have today. You know, you've, you know first you could have uh, on-prem or you could do cloud. You mm-hmm. can uh, have a virtualized desktop. You could have a physical desktop. You could virtualize the apps. You can publish the apps. You, there's so many choices, and it's a full-on mix-and-match world. And I think that's yeah. a good thing. You know, I, but, you know, making those decisions and supporting that is a pretty complicated thing to do. And so we say, you know, it all begins with kind of understanding first objectively what you've got, and then you know, using using the right data, you can make better decisions kind of kind of moving forward. Right, like going in and doing like the assessment and creating a watermark of, okay, well, this is where we're at now, and, you know, this is this is where we want to be, and we can't, you know, I, I, I get that. I mean, part of the problem a lot of people have, especially even with ZenApp, is figuring out, you know, how many concurrent users they can get, and it, what they don't realize is that it really depends on the application and, you know, um, how how fast the application is and how greedy it is for processor and memory, you know. So it, it really, you can't even, until you actually have something running on there and pulling, giving you, you know, real, like, either live or, you know, historical data telling you, you know, what, what resources are being utilized and, and how they're being utilized, you can't plan to add more capacity or take, you know, take capacity away. So, yeah, um, yeah, you're, you got that. Yeah, you got that exactly right. You'd be surprised how few companies could just, you know, t- tell you right now. I want to know how many copies of of Word are loaded on all the on all the endpoints in my state right now. You know, yeah. that shouldn't be that hard to do. You know, you should be able to answer that question right now. But more importantly, even you might want to be able to say, show me a graph of the number of concurrent instances of Word that have been loaded over the past month and is the trend going up or is it going down um you know what is the aggregate memory load from all instances of excel that are running on a virtualized platform in my london data center you know those kinds of things are easy to do with the right instrumentation and then you know what what you know lakeside what lakeside doesn't do is we are not a services company you know, that's mm-hmm. what our partner channel does for us. So, but what we do is we enable our, our, our customers and our partners especially with the information that they need so that they can take that data. And now when you want to say, well, 
you know, how big does that farm need to be to support that app? Well, you can go in and they can look at the records and see what the requirements are and make good decisions and create a lot better and more effective designs by, yes. by you know, having that information at their fingertips at a, you know, just, just there for the asking. Right. So I, I definitely think that that's uh, got a lot of value. And it's hard because I've been a consultant for a long time, and it's, it's hard when you go into a customer site and they've already got something in place that's working, even though it's not working to the optimum, to try to, you know, say, look, well, we can do this better, you know, I, I know they working right now. The problem is, is if there's not an outage, there's not a problem, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, in a lot of exactly. people's minds, and you're just like, no, yeah. no, you don't understand, there's going to be an outage, just, you're going to hit a wall, and, you know, let's let's fix it, you know, from the ground up, you know, it's why you, you take opportunities for things like um, Citrix upgrades or, you know, VDI upgrades or whatever. Um, to do it all over again and start fresh with a, cl- a clean master image or, you know, a clean install of the operating system on the server. I mean, you basically just want to start clean so that you can do it right, you know, from the beginning, and that's an opportunity. And that's where things like Lakeside help because it gives you historical data, but it also gives you live data. And that stuff, the live data, um, is critical, especially when you're talking about troubleshooting. You know, no yeah. issues, like issues that keep coming up, like ghosts. Um, yeah. Having the ability to collect that live data while the the problem is occurring, I mean, it's got to add a huge amount of value to customers as well. Yeah, I think, you know, what you said is exactly right. You know, your starting point there was that, you know, people don't, you know, when everything's okay, you know, they just leave it alone, right? But, you know, on your endpoint anyway. But, you know, you really don't do that with your data center and your server capacity, and you really don't do that with your networking where you manage this stuff, right? You manage your storage all the time. You know, it's funny that that you could have half of your expense be on the endpoint, and it's the only piece that you really don't, you know, audit and manage on a, on a, on a regular basis. Um, and, and I think though, I, you know, I think that the world is kind of coming around to, to, to that idea and maybe that's just the natural evolution of the market, um, um, uh, you know, as, as the technology advances, maybe it's, you know, the result of, of, uh, of all of the choice, you know, that's out there on the The endpoint now as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably some combination thereof. But I think I think that 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 awareness and that that focus on on the quality and the health of that service is a at the you know at the endpoint where it really matters is really a a, a key factor. Right. So you know because the endpoint really I think is starting to dictate, or it has been for the last five or six years. I think uh, really just started to dictate how things are designed in the data center, and it's taken a long time for the data center folks to realize that. You know, they don't have the control that they used to and that, you know, they can't just make, you know, um, they, can't, they can't just implement something using, you know, industry standards that they're used to using and ignore the fact that, you know, there's this plethora of, of you know, um, access devices and the different ways that applications are being delivered. I mean, they're being, you know, um, published, they're being um, uh, streamed, they're being um, delivered through a virtual desktop, they're being delivered on the desktop. I mean, there's just so many different ways of delivering applications to the endpoint, and I think that it's a, you know there's been like this ongoing argument. And I don't know where you weigh in on this, but you know, for me, because I guess maybe I come from a Citrix background, for me, it's always about delivering the application regardless of the mechanism. But yep. for some people, you know, they feel like it's uh, about the data, 
And it's like, well, you, you have to have an interface for that data, you know, so it's about really <laughs> without the application, there's no interface for that data. <laughs> yes, the answer is really yes, right? I mean, <laughs> yes, in a sense, it is all about, about the data, right? But, uh-huh. you know, the access to the data is usually through some kind of an application. And so, you know, um, and not all apps are equal. Some, some are yeah. better than the other. So, I mean, I think, I think the answer is really yes. You know, all of that stuff is, is part of the... Uh, is part of the equation, and you know, a focus on on the quality of the user experience is really, uh, you know, it's an overused term, I realize, but but it's kind of the relationship of 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 you know, what is the service delivered at the endpoint, and and how does this impact productivity of people? Because you know, for for all the money that's spent on the IT, it it you know, it's tiny compared with the the, the cost of the people. That are using it. I mean, it's the only reason that we have all the automation is is to make it easier for people to to do their job and and, and get more work done. Um, yeah. So that that productivity is really what drives the you know our whole business uh, uh, to begin with. And and I think you know that 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 quality experience begins with with having that clear picture of uh, of, of you know of what is the requirement at the endpoint to begin with. Right. Well, I don't know that it's overused until people start listening to it. You know, it's kind of like an old proverb, right? It's like, it, you know, it's all about the, the use, end user and how productive they are and, and things like that. But for a lot of people who come from infrastructure, to them it's all about the data center and what's going on with the servers. <laughs> they don't really care. And um, Yeah, yeah. So yeah although, you know, it. there is a view of that, but, of course, the data center is there. To create productivity for the users, right? I mean, that, right. that's you know, that's why that's, that stuff is really there, it, and it and it it's very effective at, at at helping with that. But that's the real reason for all of it is is to to user. help users be more more productive and have a better experience. Well, yeah, and you try to tell that to people, look, your your the bo- your real boss is not the you know the director of IT. Your real boss is the end user, so you know you need to pay attention, but. It, it's tough when you're so far, in, in a lot of cases, you know, data center people get, everything gets siloed so well, you know. Um, yeah. But it, yeah. It, you know, I learned that lesson kind of a uh, hard way when I worked at Singular Wireless um, back when it was Southwestern Bell, long distance in um, wireless, and they had the largest citrus farm on the planet at the time, and it was Metaframe 4.0, and it, uh, no, Metaframe 1.8, and it was, um, they had 20,000 concurrent users, and they were just, you know, He's the expression, they were the shit, you know, as far as Citrus was concerned, because they couldn't believe that they had somebody with 20,000 concurrent users <laughs> on a mainframe yeah. 1.8. Um, yeah. So, you know, we basically, every time we'd have an outage, um, the moderator would come on the call and the outage in money, and like every five minutes she'd come on and add a million dollars to how much productivity was lost. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, um, um, when you think about it in those terms, you realize, you know, how how critical, you know, those systems are. In fact, that that forensics message, not just forensics, but the support end of it, is another, you know, message that we attack with uh, with with the ongoing management with with SysTrack stuff. You know, we we look at kind of keeping those endpoints running as breaking into into two pieces. There's a there's the reactive side and there's the proactive side and I think you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, we all come from the reactive, you know, the right. the, the squeaky wheel, and, and you know, that model is has has been in place for a long time. You set up a help desk, and when people call and report a problem, then we look into it, right, and yeah. we see if we can get them fixed. And and you know, I think that 
I think that that's always going to be there, you know, given the complexity, you know, of of the world that we live in, and we all would like to minimize that cost. But given the fact that you know where we are today, I, I think the things that we can do to to improve that reactive side is one is we can make a faster decision about whether or not this person at this desk can help me or not. You know, everybody's had that experience, not just in mm-hmm. IT. But you call, uh, you know, you call in for tech support on anything, and it doesn't matter. You get that person on the other end of the line that, that it's pretty clear that you know more than they know, or that yeah. you know we're just not going to get there. You know, and, and I'm not going to pick on any product or service, but everybody's yeah. had that that experience. So I think the lesson from that is try to make a decision very quickly on the front end about whether or not you know what our probability of success is at the level of support that we're at. Yeah, you know because. If it's not going to, if you're not going to get there, then we want to escalate quickly for everybody, both for the end user and for the support technician. It's a savings all the way around. And then, yeah. second, of course, we want to improve the 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 percentage of of of, uh, of issues that we can resolve on the first call and at the lowest possible level. And you know, both of those things, you know, our view of it is that you 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 attack the reactive support by providing a lot more automation in terms of that effectively a flow chart that you use for level one, level two diagnostics and mm-hmm. and allow yourself to, to decide and it's you know if you run the if you run automated diagnostics and you get a no trouble found, well, okay, we've exhausted the the two hundred things or five hundred things that a level one or level two technician can help you with. And we don't need to to waste any more time because we're losing productivity of both the tech support person and the end user at that point, and of course yeah. people get frustrated. So, and then the other alternative is some of that automation can say, "Hey, I've found the problem. This this is a problem," and 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 that you know improves the uh, you know the 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 call time is shorter and the percentage of issues that can be resolved get are are, are a lot quicker. So you know we include we include in our tool set some tools that do that, and we ship them with like a a factory set of of diagnostics, but end users can go in and add their own diagnostics. I had one the other day that just said, well, at my site, if the proxy server setting for IE isn't set to this particular string, it doesn't work, right? They're they're not getting anywhere, and people click the default button, and the default is not that setting. So, um, you know, one of the things we did with them was, you know, we just said, well, let's put a diagnostic rule in. And it's automatic. We check that, and you know, if you want, you can attach the corrective action to it and say, "Well, when it's not this, fix it automatically for them." Yeah. Um, so, you, I think those kinds of things are are helpful on on that reactive end of the world. And and I know you've had some experience dealing with that as well. Yeah, and I think you know um, the the good thing that um, I'm hearing from you about Lakeside is the ability to you know see what's going on at those endpoints because. Sometimes, you know, when you're in a data center and you've got somebody on the other end saying, you know, we got a whole site down, and you're just like, well, probably network. You don't know it's network. I mean, you're, you're guessing that, you know, from process of elimination that you've got like 30 different sites and only one site's down, that, you know, the, the likelihood is that it's going to be network-related, but you can't just say it's network and throw it in their lap, you know. You have to do, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's burden of proof. You have to prove that it's that, you know. You can't just throw it on somebody else's head like a, a burden. Um, you know, when you get to call first, just because, say, you're Citrix or your VDI, and people people just equate everything with that. So when they have a problem, they immediately say it's Citrix. 
So, you know, if you're a citrus engineer, you should be used to getting those calls, and you should have something in place that will help you say, you know, okay. Sure. Uh, realistically, let's let's look at this issue and send over some real data. So if it does turn out that it's a network issue, we can help the network team out by saying, hey, this is what we found. This is what you can start with. You know? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. And think about like a uh, think about like like a, a hosted example, like a cloud provider, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, we deal we do a lot of work with some very large systems integrators that do a lot of this kind of stuff, where the the infrastructure side of a of a uh, uh, a virtualized desktop world is provided by the SI, but the applications are controlled by the end user organization. Well, you know, the first thing when something goes wrong, you know, you got people pointing fingers, right? And and yeah. it's your problem until you prove it somebody else. So one of the things that we've done is we built a uh, a, a delineation mark into the into the the issues that are resolved, so we can instantly tell you well which side is it on? Is it yeah. a, is it is it you know we can see it's a problem. But is it is it a problem caused by the infrastructure, or is it a problem unrelated to the infrastructure? Because you know managing that demarcation, it's not so much about about blame as you know. Like in that case, those two parties they want to work together, but we want to know who to direct it to first. So this you know yeah. this is a, a you know a very simple tool inside Vscape that just you look at it and it'll tell you you know is it is it you know. Red over green, green over red, red over red, and you know each side of that reports, you know the infrastructure or the app in. So if you've got a green over red, well the infrastructure is green and the apps are red, so it's not the provider's issue. And being able to, in that in that kind of re- still talking reactive, we'll talk proactive in a minute, yeah. but but in that reactive world, the ability to very quickly decide, you know, what kind of a problem. What's at the cause of this, and who can do something about it? These are uh, are, are all about about improving the quality of that service, and you know, and the history, yeah. of course, figures into that and change management. You know, and, and you know, you've dealt, I'm sure, with you get the call from somebody who says, "Hey, uh, you know, I have this problem," and one of the first questions is, "Well, was that happening yesterday?" Yeah, and well, what the user says, yesterday? "No," and you say, yeah. "Well, what did you change?" And what what will the end user say? <laughs> They'll say nothing. nothing. Nothing changed. I didn't change anything, right? Well, that kind of objective view of saying, well, you know what, I've got, I've got like thousands of data points on your system, and I can see these seven things are different from yesterday, doesn't necessarily tell you that that's the cause, you know, but it's certainly a huge clue, you know, when, when, you're, when you're looking at these, at these kinds of things. And, and all these things kind of contribute to that, you know, let's shorten, shorten the handle time and and escalate where you know where required. And then the newest thing that we've that we've just introduced with uh, with Systrack 7.2 is a self-help facility. So it it pushes that even even farther left, where we can put if the if the you know if the IT department decides to allow, we can put a tool tray icon in that allows the user to run their own diagnostics. So. Now, you get a little different kind of a diagnostic than what you would give to a help desk technician because right. some of the issues aren't things that they can do anything about. You know, if, we're, if, if, we, if we run the diagnostic and we find out, you know, you have a high ready time, you know, well, I can't explain that to, to somebody in my accounting department. You know, that's a, there's a problem. It's in the infrastructure. You need to call the help desk. Um, yeah. On the other hand, there are things that, you know, you've got 
uh, an Internet Explorer open on a web page that has that's chewing up as much CPU as it can due to a you know bug in the uh, in the in the web code. Um, yeah. And if you terminate, you know, if you go to Task Manager and you kill off this process, your problem will be gone. Well, everybody's happy about that. The end user is happy because they don't have to call support. Support is happy because they didn't get the call. Uh, it's it's a it's it's a win all the way around by by doing some of that stuff automatically, and that, now you're into real call avoidance uh, kinds of things. And again, you know, you're not going to fix every issue that way, but you know, every one you get is uh, is a win. And the ability yeah. to alter that diagnostic means that you know you as a customer can put in things related to your own apps into that diagnostic code to allow that right. self help. Um, right. Because every environment is wholly unique. You know, you can't, yeah. you can't, I mean, I've, I've been, you know, at conferences and stuff where I've presented and I've had people ask me questions that were profoundly insular just to their environment. And I've had to say, you know what, let's talk about this after, <laughs> let, let me let me finish this because uh, it sounds like it's something that's specific to your environment. Let me finish what I'm doing here and then afterwards come around and, I'll, and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, the fact Definitely. that what people don't get is, is that every environment is unique and every environment has its own, you know, diseases as well as, you know, um, glory fills. So it's kind of one of those deals where it's kind of like, you know, look, um, every every shop has its own poison and its own, you know, cure. So um, you got to figure that out. But SLAs are really for, uh, for back-end people that we live in and die by the SLA that we have for a specific application or a specific infrastructure environment. And if we don't make that SLA agreement, everybody is punished. Um, and, and, you know, in a pop- pocketbook mostly, and <laughs> that's where it hurts the most. So if sure. there's a way to be predictive and to stop, you know, stop problems before they even become an issue and predict that that issue is going to occur and, you know, fix it, you know, in, a, in an outage window that's already predefined, um, basically makes you look like a superhero because, you know, we're usually not called until, you know, there's blood on the, the keyboard, you know. Yeah. Well, that's the then that, that's a perfect entree into the other, the flip side of this, the, the proactive side, because in in a perfect world, there would be no reactive support. Everything would be proactive, right? We would be we would be monitoring every seat all the time and resolving every issue before the people could even pick up their telephone. And right. maybe that's a, a little further out still. But I think what you what you probably can do is you can start to look for issues that have the most productivity impact. What things affect the most people? And if you can dedicate any amount of resource. From that perspective, and you know, how do you do that? Well, you you manage all the endpoints as a uh, from from the the aggregate side, and you know, instead of the reactive focusing on a specific seed, and say, well, which things are occurring the most and having the biggest the biggest impact? And every time you fix one of those, think about how many reactive calls you've just eliminated. And yeah. and you know, over time. As you get better and you fix more and more the proactive side, not only does the quality go up, but the number of reactive calls goes down. And so you can afford to repurpose people that used to be working in the reactive side more onto the proactive side. So it's not so much like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna necessarily save a whole bunch of of, of people cost right away, but you can afford to to move those people 
back onto the proactive side and improving that quality. And this can help us get us out of this mode where more and more and more of our uh, of our available budget is spent reactively fixing things, and we eventually don't have any money left to to, to advance the state of the technology anymore. So yeah. doing that proactive side helps with that, you know, incredibly, and it makes everybody happy because you know things get fixed that were bothering the most people and 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 having the uh, the biggest impact. And it's still, I mean, it's kind of related. You know, from from our perspective, from a software, it's the same thing. It's just we're using the data a little differently. Instead of using it to to do, you know, react to this user and do forensics and so forth in reaction to this complaint, we're looking at, you know, in a complaint in an automated sense. We're looking at all of the the uh, con- you know, complaints or con- alarm conditions that happen, and then we're kind of saying, well, which ones have the biggest impact, affect the most people, and... Uh, and who do we have available to work on it? Because, you know, once you know what they are, it isn't necessarily the case that everybody's interchangeable. Maybe this particular one is something that affects a particular app or a particular kind of app delivery. And, mm-hmm. you know, we have the right person that's able to, to take advantage of that. This is how you, you, you get ahead of the game in, that, in, in, in producing a, a higher quality service in the aggregate. Yeah. No, I, I personally prefer that, you know, and you see that a lot, a lot in the larger environments, that, that predictive maintenance mentality, where they're looking at that historical data and they're, you know, reviewing it every week and, you know, they have a, a post-mortem every time there's an outage. They can figure out what they can do in the future so that it never, ever happens again. Um, but you don't see that a lot in the smaller or the medium-sized companies because so many people, you know, they've got so many responsibilities that it's hard for them to think in a predictive way other than trying to get their change request in and, and follow some kind of methodology that's in place, but it's clearly not working, you know, to their advantage. Um, you know, it, it, it's one of those unfortunate things that until the industry as a whole just changes, you know, all the way from the smallest shop to the largest shop, I don't know how to push it down. Does that make sense? How do you push it does. the mentality it does. down? Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, I'm starting to see some of our customers that are a little more on the on the leading edge of things starting to get to a newer model where, you know, in the in a UAT world, they start to look at their applications and their behavior and they start to to create benchmarks for them. So, you know, virtually everybody's got some kind of a change control board that, you know, that authorizes what at least in theory, what goes on to all the endpoints. It right. maybe doesn't always work, but at least in theory, you know. And they're starting to look at this out of UAT and require uh, reporting out yeah. of UAT that are sort of, you know, sort of like an impact analysis. You know, here's a new app. How many IOPS do we expect it to drive? And what's the min and the max and the peak? And, uh, uh, you know, how much, how much you know, uh, a compute resource is going to be needed? Does it, does it require a GPU? What libraries are, you know, and supporting libraries does it need? They're starting to require a lot more detailed information at the UAT level, some of which is sort of provided by a vendor, but a lot of which is, is, is measured in, in, a, in, in the test world. And then when you go in, if you instrument properly, when you go into your production world, you simply take these conditions that, you know, were the constraints that we talked to the change control board about where they approved it, and you start to set up alarming on that. So when this app behaves outside of those boundaries, it's, 
it's it's already something that is that is misbehaving. It's not at least something isn't behaving as required. So either we got it wrong in the spec out of out of the UAT and we have to fix that, or something is happening that we didn't really expect. And it's it's a new way of of kind of looking at looking at your world and managing. You know, you mentioned SLAs. This is a little bit like that where you're 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 starting to get a lot more predictability. Um, uh, out of your environment by doing that, that before and after and then paying attention to it. It's a lot more, you know, it's, again, that proactive kind of uh, uh, kind of a management model. Yeah, well, though, I, I agree. I mean, I've been in environments where they've had systems, you know, similar that they just didn't know how to uh, interpret or they've had, you know, had that in place and they've had an expert who was fantastic at it and, you know, they, they never got a call because they were always, you know, kind of ahead of the curve. Um, but, you know, a lot of times IT is considered, a, a I guess, a, um, a money pit. So for mm-hmm. for us to get, you know, resources like Lakeside Software, like SysTrack and, and um, these kind of things, we have to really justify it. And it's really, like, what, what can we, you know, take to, like, our IT directors and we'll say, well, we want to implement this system and it's going to cost us X amount of dollars, but... Potentially, it could save us this amount of dollars. Um, it's like, is there a way of measuring that that is appealing and simple enough for an IT guy who's taking it to a money man to translate? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think we work in in different kinds of projects. Sometimes sometimes that case is made on a project basis, right? We're mm-hmm. you know we're we're implementing a, a virtualized desktop project, right? Well, we have a need for a before and after. We have a need for proper sizing. We have a need for for you know improving the quality of service and the forensics. You know, on those kinds of projects, usually there's a, a fairly well documented you know, uh, uh, target and plan, and it's pretty easy for that budget to drive as a piece of that of that project. It's an important important factor for the probability of success. Of that project, and if, if nothing else, at least as a management of or a measurement of whether you were were kind of successful. So I would say that you know we have a, a decent number of our customers that come from that that project kind of uh, thinking. The okay. other class of customers, you know, we come from more of a of an enterprise viewpoint, and this is you know this is the viewpoint of a customer who says, well, you know. If I'm spending half of my budget around the endpoint, and you think about how much money that is, you know the the cost of SysTrack is really amortized around around optimizing, you know that that huge chunk of of budget. And when you look at the at you know the the costing is 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 tiny, you know in yeah, in, in comparison, it's, it's yeah. obvious that you're that you're going to you know you're going to get that from you know, right-sizing hardware from app rationalization, from uh, getting rid of software uh, waste, from improving help desk response time, from improving productivity. From there's probably I think our sales guys kind of the other day, and they've they've in the last 12 months they've used 29 different ROI stories um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and these kinds of things. And but yeah. and so if you're on a project basis, you maybe you only care about one of those stories or two. If you're on the enterprise side, you look at it and say, well, as an enterprise tool, this to me is in, in optimizing that, that huge chunk of my budget. I get the benefits of all these, and it's pretty simple. And even these are done without even looking at the biggest savings, which is productivity. And, yeah. and 
when, again, you know, I, I mentioned earlier the cost of the people, and I'm not talking about IT now. I'm talking about you know just business workers in general. The cost of those workers is so much higher than the cost of the computer equipment and software that's involved. I mean, that's why you have that equipment to begin with. And optimizing that time is 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 an enormous savings. Um, and and I think that when you look at it from from that perspective, this is this is kind of the thinking where a lot of our enterprise customers come from. In fact, I have a fun uh, have a fun story from you. One of the more interesting use cases for SysTrack that I've heard uh, uh, recently, we have a customer who was working on a new building and they're going to move people from several other buildings into this uh, into this new one that they're planning and they're trying to figure out how big should they build the parking lot. <laughs> and <laughs> I mean, this is a serious story and because they're not all some are some work shifts and some work, you know, on a on a, a salary and kind of have flex scheduling and not as easy as a problem as you might think. And somebody said, "Well, why don't we go and just pull the concurrency records for Outlook because everybody's running email when they're when they're here and and that should be a pretty good indicator of mm-hmm. of how many people we're going to have." And you know, they, we you know we I mean, it's trivial way we we pull them a concurrency map. And they look at it, and they could see very clearly how many people work on Saturdays and how many people, what their peak hour is, how many people are arriving at the mm-hmm. same time in the morning and how, how many lanes you need to get into that parking lot. It, it was a really an interesting use case, but, it, <laughs> but it's an example of driving, of driving, in this case, real, real value to, right. to this customer based off having a clear picture of how their IT equipment uh, uh, was used. And how, so, how productivity was uh, being run, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I definitely get it, um, you know, and, and I definitely uh, use as many tools as I possibly can and automate as much as possible because it takes the human error out. I mean, I've, you know, I've believed that a long time, but that's probably because, like I said, you know, the first trick environment I worked at was 20,000 concurrent users. <laughs> that's <laughs> so right. Metaframe one eight, so we automated everything, and it was mostly because of predictive. I mean, that was before we had SysTrack, and we were just trying to basically, um, you know, automate, including, like, server builds, automate everything so that there was a standard way things were done, and it took kind of the human error out of it. And at that point, you're kind of like, okay, well, if the human, if somebody hasn't touched this, and it's the only one that's acting bizarrely, you know, even though it's been built the same way as everything else, and somebody touched it, let's let's, uh, you know, let's figure out yeah. who touched it and why and what they did. But, um, you know... Yeah, yeah that audit side is important, really important, too, right? It's the record yeah. of who who did what, you know, not always, again, so much from a blame perspective, but from a, you know, we just want to get to the bottom of it and get, and get right. things resolved. And, you know, we well, find yeah. that that audit end, you know, if you think about, you know, in the non-persistent space today, um, which is, you know, which is a popular model with a lot of people, you know, well... Well, you, you you want a non-persistent desktop, you really still want to persist some audit records. I mean, in some cases, yeah. in some cases, it's required by uh, by corporate controls. Is it you know how do you keep track of of what happened in a non-persistent world uh, yeah. entirely? And that you know we've we've kind of you know architecture has been enhanced over the years to to provide you know persistent management of non-persistent worlds. Because you really do need, 
you know, that, that, that proper audit trail, whether that's, you know, whether that's corporate controls or whether that's forensics or whether it's, you know, a lot of the security issues that are, uh, that are plaguing us all uh, uh, these days. You know, we got to, you know, we, 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 we find some malware and we want to know right now where else is it running. I mean, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a, trivial, a trivial answer, but you'd be surprised at how few people have, have in place facilities to do that or how, many, how, how few people have a facility to say, you know, I want an alarm and an email on my desktop when an app runs for the first time anywhere in my enterprise and I want to know who ran it and what PC it ran on. You know, that's yeah. not a very it's not a very complicated kind of a thing, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Because everything really should be coming through UAT, although we know it doesn't. But right. you know, that's a it's a powerful it's a powerful tool having that kind of uh, of, of audit capability. Like you're saying, you know, when you have this problem, you get twenty thousand concurrent users in, in 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 your example, you know, and I have one server that's acting up. Is it is it the one, or is this typical? Because your yeah. reaction to that problem is radically different, right? If it's just this one, well, I'm going to do one thing. Right. If it's on, if it's on two even or ten, how I'm going to handle that problem is a lot different. Yeah, because because it becomes a bigger problem, and you it may, means that you've got to do like rolling out it. So it changes the way that you have to manage, you know, the end users and what's going on. You know, because during an outage, it, it's kind of uh, tough when you've got, you know, say, you've got. I don't know, 200 servers, and you know what the fix is, but it's something that has to, to touch every single server. And so you basically are taking, you know, you know, 20 servers down at a time, fixing them, pulling them back up, and taking 20 yeah. down and fixing them and pulling them back up. And the whole time, yeah. you know, you're getting, you know, hit with all of these user complaints. You don't want to be stuck in a situation like that. You want to have, you know, a, kind of a, a head start. But if you know, you know, if you do have some kind of way to record it and figure out, okay, this is something that is, um, you know, prevalent on you know, across the board, or this is just something that happened to this one server, take this server out, rebuild it using the script, and move on with your life, you know? Or, mm-hmm. you know, do we need to look at this closer and figure out why, what's wrong with the script? What's wrong with our automation that's causing this to be universal? But, and, and you know, like I said before, you know, you kind of get that more easily in large enterprise because, in large enterprise, you're used to, you know, being zinged with the money, you know, when it comes to um, even your budget will get cut if, if you if you mess up with your SLA, you know. So yeah. it's, it's kind of one of those deals where you, you, you really protect that with your life and everybody knows that, you know, it's, it's about that SLA. So everybody's committed to being predictive and, and using whatever tools that they can find to, to, to do that, you know. Um, yeah. Well, and think about, about your yeah. Think about your example continued one step further, either into a a cloud provider or into a, uh, a systems integrator that that manages lots of different tenants, even if they're on prem, right? Um, yeah. Think about the economies of scale that you could get if you could start to find a problem and fix it. Maybe for one tenant where you had this problem, be be able to instantly say, well, do I have any other tenants? any other yeah. customers that have the same problem because right. there's absolutely no reason to go out and do the same research on the same problem at each individual one. So I think yeah. what you're going to see is, is the economy of scale from, from either of those models, right? Because you know, certainly a cloud provider could, could do that and certainly a, a systems integrator that's managing multiple customers or even an individual end user that has multiple sites or facilities 
you know, mm-hmm. you really you really don't want to you know keep reinventing around saying the rules. Once you yeah. once you solve it once, you really should take that answer and apply it proactively in all the other places where you have the the identical problem. Right. Uh, I think I think that it. I mean, it seems very simple. It's it's mechanically no, not always so easy to do, especially if you really have no automation and you're really just you know, handling calls reactively at a service desk and, you know, the problem happens and I have no earthly idea how many other people are impacted by this, except by looking at the call logs maybe. That's right. not a very good that's not a very good model. That's why that's why support is expensive. Yeah. Well and that's why, you know, you got people bleeding money in IT shops that aren't, you know, looking at uh, the predictive model. I mean when you're spending, you know, like a billion dollars on IT, you're looking at predictive <laughs> maintenance. Yeah. And you're saying, yeah. what can we do? And, yeah. and and your example with the cloud providers, that's a good example because, you know, they're, because of all of the data breaches and stuff that have happened in the United States from some of these cloud providers, there are companies in Europe and companies in Canada that cannot even um, leverage these cloud providers because they're not secure. They're not considered to be secure enough. Yeah. And yep. You're, you're like, okay, well, what are you going to do about it, cloud providers? Are you just going to take it and say, okay, well, I guess we'll just take, you know, American customers? What happens when the American customers start doing their cloud with, you know, uh, in Canada and Europe and skipping? Yeah. <laughs> and everybody just it, leaves the United States for cloud service. <laughs> well, and think about, think about like, mobility as, a, as another, you know, related kind of challenge where, you know, from a, from a forensics and from a auditing perspective and so forth, you know what? You know you 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 take your laptop and you work at home or you work remotely. You know well what what you do when you're disconnected is a is a very important thing. I mean if you're going to have complete audit records, yeah. um, you really need to understand that. And and just because the problem happened while the user was was away doesn't relieve the help desk of their responsibility to help run that kind of forensics. Or what is the user supposed to do when? They're somewhere where they don't have access to, to, to call in the help desk. I don't have the privilege of being able to call them from you know, working on Wi-Fi on an airplane, right? But yeah. if you've got a properly set up and distributed system, there's no reason that you can't run self-help diagnostics anywhere you are you know, mm-hmm. without, you know, without having to have all that, all that infrastructure full-time connected. And I think, I think mobility is, uh, I mean, it's, it's a great asset, but it's a great challenge for uh, for everybody in IT as well, and it really means you got to rethink some of these, some of these centralized architectures that really rely on the fact that all these systems are going to be connectable at the same time. I mean, even power management, right? Proper power management—you don't, you don't leave. Nobody leaves the machines running 24 hours a day. You know, they put them to sleep because they can wake them up instantly anyway. And yeah. and if you think about, you know, any kind of centralized diagnostic where where you rely on everything's connectable all the time, that in the mobility world that we're in today, that's just not going to work. Well, speaking of mobility, with SysTrack 7, are you, do you have any kind of um, app in the app store that it can be part of a management of like a, an iPhone or like the Android store, or do you guys have something like that on your roadmap? Uh, do you have anybody looking into it? What's, what's the story there? Great question. I hear that hear that sort of frequently these days. And of course, um, I've uh, I've made my living on Windows for a long, long, long time. Um, I actually at one time was a Unix guy, 
feel far enough back. But uh, but on Windows, Lakeside has, has has had Windows platforms, all Windows platforms, any Windows platform. We have we I think we've actually discontinued the Windows ninety five support now. But uh, oh, well, uh, but uh, but yeah. Uh, but anyway, we we support all things all things Windows. We have um, uh, some customers running some beta code for uh, uh, Linux and and Unix variants. Uh, in the field, they work with all the same tools. They have a different uh, agent, obviously, yeah. uh, and we have some people doing some field testing on that. That platform is a, or that that version of code of agent is really a true multi-platform piece of code, and it allows us to run it on on lots of different platforms. So, you know, it's obvious that we're that we're looking at at Linux and things like a Macintosh. Um, mobility is a factor as well. You know, we. We, we have an agent that we could run on Android. We've cross-compiled it, but we are not shipping that, and that's not beta-ready yet. Um, some ad- additional challenges there. You know, we will not be an MDM vendor. Okay, we're we're we're, we're, right. we're not. That's that's not where we see ourselves. Um, there's this pretty good coverage from from some of our good friends in that space. Uh, oh, yeah. But we think yeah, yeah. that that uh, there may be some interesting things that we can do in that in that area going forward. But I think you will see in the market from us. Uh, uh, in the not too distant future, some some widening of that cross-platform support into into platforms that our customers are are asking for, and the ar- architecturally, um, the way that it's implemented is through a, a normalized schema in in the distributed database architecture we use, and that means that all of the tooling that our customers learn how to use works works automatically with all the platforms. So if you look okay. at our Resolve Forensics and Diagnostics tool, when you when when we set up and put and put the first Linux agents onto this platform, the diagnostics tools just work. I mean they, they don't need any changes at all. And and so um, I think that, you know, from from a entry into the market, our customers will find that easy to work with because there won't be any of that retraining required. But we're not quite right. we're not quite ready in, in in full production, so I think you can consider that kind of a glimpse at a at our uh, at least nearer term roadmap uh, for the okay. future. Well, no, that's definitely you know good to know because I you know I'm getting hit up all the time with people with asking me questions about you know what their mobile strategy should be and you know uh, especially in if you look at like some of the wearable stuff that's coming out in the healthcare industry and Citrix customers you know Citrix has got a huge presence in the healthcare market. And you've got these doctors that want to do everything on their phone, and you're like, just like, do everything on your phone. I'm sorry, I don't know who told you you could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We're, we're not there. Uh, we're not there. Yeah. So, but you can uh, do a lot. <laughs> you yeah. can do a lot. Yeah, you can do a lot, uh-huh. but you can't do everything. I mean, you know, yeah, that's so that's, that's true. In fact, if you even like our, you know, our newest, uh, I don't know if you've, you you may not even seen it, but our newest our dashboarding technology we introduced last year. It's a drag and drop dashboard designer, so you can take data from. Any platform, not oh, just this track, but Citrix yeah. data, VMware data, what, okay. you know, whatever kind of data you got, and you can drag and drop design any kind of dashboard you like. And with the with the newest agent, with the seven point or newest software, seven point two, the dashboarding tool now understands mobile devices, so it can figure out what your form factor is. And if you look at it from your desktop, you see a dashboard one way. But if you view the exact same dashboard and you view it from your phone. You'll see a different view. It's still using the same designed tool for drag and drop, but it auto converts it for you to be a you know a, a phone ready kind of a thing or a tablet yeah. ready kind of a kind of a thing. So you you design it once, and then it works. And that's purely in response to exactly what you said. Customers who say, 
I just, you know, I I have customers who want this data, but you know, my uh, my boss wants to see the data on his on his uh, on his tablet. Oh, okay, that's fine. Um, yeah. So you definitely have plans uh, in 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 the future for the um, for the Linux geeks out there, the the penguins, and um, hopefully some Mac folks too. <laughs> yeah, we got some of that stuff in uh, in field test now. Um, so. Uh, uh, you'll you'll see some more things from that coming from us this year. Yeah, well, I'm excited about that. That's that's definitely cool. And um, you know, the the stuff with uh, that you mentioned about being able to really help cloud providers. I think that um, you know, if you could get some more cloud providers in the U.S. to to really pay attention to it, uh, it might uh, you know let us allow us to save some space. <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> get some actual, you know, customers from other countries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the the data transfer rules are complicated to be to be sure. Yeah, so I mean, you know, it, it, it's got to be safe, and if people don't have to have, you know, that that kind of uh, confidence in the United States' ability to, um, you know, keep their data secure in the cloud, then you know, it's like we're all going, we're all part of the cloud already. I mean, it's already, it's it's not one of those things where it's you know, we're going there, we're there. We just gotta accept it and suck it up and figure out how to do it right. Well yeah, and you know, with with the you know, I think I think a lot of the users that we serve collectively, um, a lot of our end users are becoming more and more IT savvy. And, you know, if you don't provide it, they'll find a way to to, to do it on their own. Um, and I mean, I think that's part of the challenge. Is you know, part of the, certainly part of the you know way back where we started this call on the assessment is really understanding what it is that out there that's out there isn't as easy as as you might think because you got a lot of smart people with a lot of options you know at, at the endpoint and they figure out their own ways of doing things and sometimes you know it's, sometimes it's hard to to build a new strategy for how to serve them going forward. If we don't really even understand what it is that they're that they're doing to begin with today, so you right. know, I guess yeah, there is the there is the side of it that you know that, that you could say, well, we're we're seeing what they're doing that they shouldn't be doing, so we can stop them. There's a little bit of that, I guess, but there's a lot more that I see around. We're seeing what they're doing so that we can properly help them because yeah. they may not have made the best decision, and also you know we don't we don't need to do the same thing 17 different ways. That makes the support cost really expensive. So if we see a need, yeah. we'll make sure that we fill it, but we fill it in a standard and uniform and secure kind of a way where we can we can, you know, measure that quality and and support that SLA that that uh, that you were talking about. Yeah. All right. Well, Groovy, is there anything that you want to talk about that maybe I haven't kind of uh mentioned or we haven't had a chance to speak to? There is, but are we allowed to go for like a week? Is that, is that permitted? <laughs> <No. I usually laughs> like There's so many hour. things we could we could talk we could talk we could pick any one of these subjects and talk for pretty much as long as uh, as as we like. But uh, I think we had a a nice introductory call, and maybe some other time we'll we'll delve deeper into some of these uh, some of these things. Well, and here's the other thing too, Mike. Um, you know, why don't you let um, you know the users know or like the follow people who are listening, um, let them know. How they can follow you and where they can get more information. That way, if you know they they are really curious and they've got some questions, they can go there and get the answers that they need. Sure, sure. Um, uh, our website address is uh, lakesidesoftware.com, and uh, that has kind of all the first level information. And then there is also a uh, 
uh, a portal that's available. Uh, it requires that you get an ID, but that's pretty easy to, to help you with. Uh, you can make that request at salesinfo at lakesidesoftware.com, and uh, uh, that portal contains all kinds of additional information about use cases and what other people have done and uh, some of the ROI stories and, you know, all that kind of material as well as the, as the technical uh, uh, information. And our, our salespeople and, uh, and tech support teams can always help too with, uh, with pilots and demos if you'd like to take a look at this or if you'd like to just talk about, you know, kind of some of the challenges that you're dealing with and, you know, whether or not Lakeside might be helpful in, in, in some of those sorts of things. So we're, we're happy to hear from you. And um, um, that's probably a great starting point, at least. Okay. Well, what about you personally? Do you have a personal blog, or do you, are are you uh, somebody who's you, on you'll, Twitter? Yeah, you'll find myself right off of right off of our homepage. Um, okay. They, you know, okay. so it's, it, it's easy to find and easy to remember. LakesideSoftware.com, and you'll 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 find links to all my stuff directly right there. Okay. And if you uh, tend to go to any of the the cooler conferences, you might run into Mike there too. <laughs> That's you a, will you a, will see me. You will see me and I and I really at the conferences I'd like to try to keep my schedule, you know, for offsite meetings as clear as I can because I find that, you know, if you can kind of hang around where people can find you on the show floor, um I get some of my very best ideas right there. I find that if you just listen to people, they they tell you exactly what they're trying to do, what the problem is and, you know, a lot of times what I'm a little bit of what I'm doing right sometimes and a lot of what we're not doing that they that they need and I, I really appreciate those conversations. So yeah, look for me for sure because I'll I'll be at those conferences and, and, and pretty available. Yeah, that's how I found you years and years and years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. And you will see right I still do the same thing. I get my I get my best ideas right there by simply by just listening to people. All right. Well Mike, thank you so much for your time and I do appreciate it and um Thank you for letting us uh, know what you're working on a little bit, uh, giving us some um, you know, kind of a, a, an eye view of uh, where your um, you know um, roadmap looks like it might be headed in a little a bit of a way. But mostly, I think um, more explaining you know the difference between reactive and predictive, and you know also the the steps about going back and auditing and making sure that it's not about blaming anybody. It's more about figuring out what the original problem was so that you can make sure it never happens again. Um, I think that's a big, you know, a big one that people need to understand that, you know, just because something can be used to audit you doesn't mean that it's going to be used as a weapon, you know. Exactly, exactly. Well, great. Right. Thanks, Glenda, for the opportunity. Always good to catch up, and I'm sure I'll be seeing you at one of these events uh, shortly. Oh, yeah. Too. Oh, yeah. I'll find you. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Thanks. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.